0: Chapter One of In His Steps by Charles M. Sheldon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narrated by Glenn Coster, Jr.,
1: Narrator read by Maggie Travers,
2: Henry Maxwell read by Larry
3: Wilson
4: mrs mary maxwell read by beth
3: thomas tramp read by david olson
1: choir soprano read by del de Piñoroles. choir alto read by Estherman simonides
3: choir tenor read by asher gravi Choir Bass, read by Donald Gilmore.
1: Rachel Winslow, read by Del de Pignoles.
3: Dr. West, read by Mike Justice.
1: Alexander Powers, read by Rupert Holliday.
3: Donald Marsh, read by Ryan Quaid.
1: Edward Norman, read by the dad.
0: Clark, managing editor, read by Dave Harrell.
1: Boy One, read by Lydia. Customer, read by Esther Ben Simonides. George, read by Gideon Snow. Letter One Writer, Businessman, read by Kimberly Krause. Letter Writer Two, Norman's Friend, read by Esther Ben Simonides.
2: Letter Four Writer, Tobacco Advertiser, read by Beth Thomas.
1: Virginia Page, read by Esther Ben Simonides.
3: Jasper Chase, read by Mike Justice.
1: Roland Page, read by Rupert Holliday.
3: Madam Page, read
4: by Christine G. Mrs. Winslow, read by Christine G.
1: Mrs. Gray, read by Esteban Simonides.
4: Mr. Gray, read by Tricia G. Tent meeting attendee, read
1: by Kimberly Krause. Crowd member one, read by Rupert Holliday. Crowd member two, read by Esterman Simonides. Crowd number three, read by Gideon Snow. Fred Morris, President of the Endeavor Society, read by Rachel.
2: Milton Wright, read by Bob Scott.
1: Girl 1, read by Kimberly Kraus. Girl 2, read by Dada Piñorales.
4: Lorraine, read by Beth Thomas.
1: Rough read by Delda Definioles. Female crowd member read by Esther Ben Simonides.
4: Newspaper correspondent read by Kimberly Krause.
2: Reverend Calvin Bruce, D.D. read by Bob Scott.
1: Night Watchman singing read by Estrebin Simonides, Auditorium attendant read by Straban Simonides.
4: Rose Sterling, read by Beth Thomas. Felicia Sterling, read by Bria Snow. Street boy, read by Gideon Snow.
1: Mr Sterling, Read by Rupert Holliday Mrs. Sterling Read by Esteban Simonides Mrs. Delano Read by Esteban Simonides
3: The Bishop Read by David Olson
4: Mrs. Bruce Read by Christine G
1: Messenger from Mr. Sterling, read by Kimberly Krause.
2: Stephen Clyde, read by Donald Gilmore.
3: Burns, read by Mike Justice. Man
1: 2, read by... Esther Ben Simonides. Clayton, read by Rupert Holliday. Divinity Student, read by esterbens Simonides.
3: Clarence Penrose, read by John Berlinson.
4: Man in the Crowd, read by Kimberly Krause.
1: First speaker, read by Rupert Holliday.
2: Second speaker, read by Bob Scott.
1: Third Speaker, Old Man, read by Esther Ben Simonides.
2: Carlson, the Socialist Leader, read by Beth Thomas.
0: Chapter 1 For hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that ye should follow in his steps it was friday morning and the reverend henry maxwell was trying to finish his sunday morning sermon he had been interrupted several times and was growing nervous as the morning wore away and the sermon grew very slowly toward a satisfactory finish mary he called to his wife as he went upstairs after the last interruption
2: if any one comes after this i wish you would say i am very busy and cannot come down unless it is something very important
4: yes henry but i am going over to visit the kindergarten and you will have the house all to yourself
0: the minister went up into his study and shut the door in a few minutes he heard his wife go out and then everything was quiet he settled himself at his desk with a sigh of relief and began to write his text was from first peter two twenty one for hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that ye should follow his steps. He had emphasized in the first part of the sermon the atonement as a personal sacrifice, calling attention to the fact of Jesus' suffering in various ways in his life as well as in his death. He had then gone on to emphasize the atonement from the side of example, giving illustrations from the life and teachings of Jesus to show how faith in the Christ helped to save men because of the pattern or character he displayed for their imitation. He was now on the third and last point, the necessity of following Jesus in his sacrifice and example. He had put down
2: three steps what are they
0: and was about to enumerate them in logical order when the bell rang sharply it was one of those clockwork bells and always went off as a clock might go if it tried to strike twelve all at once Henry Maxwell sat at his desk and frowned a little he made no movement to answer the bell very soon it rang again then he rose and walked over to one of the windows which commanded the view of the front door A man was standing on the steps. He was a young man, very shabbily dressed.
2: Uh, Looks like a tramp,
0: said the minister.
2: I suppose I'll have to go down and...
0: He did not finish his sentence, but he went downstairs and opened the front door. There was a moment's pause as the two men stood facing each other. Then the shabby-looking young man said,
3: I'm out of a job, sir, and thought... Maybe you might put me in the way of getting something?
2: I don't know of anything.
3: Jobs are scarce,
0: replied the minister, beginning to shut the door slowly.
3: I didn't know, but you might perhaps be able to give me a line to the city railway, or the superintendent of the shops, or something,
0: continued the young man. "'shifting his faded hat from one hand to the other nervously.
2: "'It will be of no use. "'You will have to excuse me. "'I am very busy this morning. "'I hope you will find something. "'Sorry I can't give you something to do here. "'I keep only a horse and a cow and do the work myself.'
0: "'The Reverend Henry Maxwell closed the door "'and heard the man walk down the steps.' As he went up into his study, he saw from his hall window that the man was going slowly down the street, still holding his hat between his hands. There was something in the figure so dejected, homeless, and forsaken that the minister hesitated a moment as he stood looking at it. Then he turned to his desk and with a sigh began the writing where he had left off. He had no more interruptions, and when his wife came in two hours later the sermon was finished the loose leaves gathered up and neatly tied together and laid on his bible all ready for the sunday morning service
4: a queer thing happened at the kindergarten this morning henry
0: said his wife while they were eating dinner
4: you know i went over with mrs brown to visit the school and just after the games while the children were at the tables the door opened and a young man came in holding a dirty hat in both hands he sat down near the door and never said a word only looked at the children he was evidently a tramp and miss wren and her assistant miss kyle were a little frightened at first but he sat there very quietly and after a few minutes he went out perhaps
2: he was tired and wanted to rest somewhere the same man called here, I think. Did you say he looked like a tramp?
4: Yes, very dusty, shabby, and generally tramp like. Not more than thirty or thirty-three years old, I should say.
2: Ah, uh, the same man,
0: said the Reverend Henry Maxwell thoughtfully.
4: Did you finish your sermon, Henry?
0: his wife asked after a pause.
2: Yes, all done. It has been a very busy week with me. The two sermons have cost me a good deal of labor.
4: They will be appreciated by a large audience on Sunday, I hope,
0: replied his wife, smiling.
4: What are you going to preach about in the morning?
2: Following Christ. I take up the atonement under the head of sacrifice and example, and then show the steps needed to follow his sacrifice and example.
4: I'm sure it is a good sermon. I hope it won't rain on Sunday we have had so many stormy sundays lately
2: yes the audiences have been quite small for some time ah people will not come out to church in a storm
0: the rev henry maxwell sighed as he said it he was thinking of the careful laborious effort he had made in preparing sermons for large audiences that failed to appear but sunday morning dawned on the town of raymond one of the perfect days that sometimes come after long periods of wind and mud and rain. The air was clear and bracing, the sky was free from all threatening signs, and everyone in Mr. Maxwell's parish prepared to go to church. When the service opened at eleven o'clock, the large building was filled with an audience of the best dressed, most comfortable looking people of Raymond. The First Church of Raymond believed in having the best music that money could buy and its quartet choir this morning was a source of great pleasure to the congregation. The anthem was inspiring. All the music was in keeping with the subject of the sermon, and the anthem was an elaborate adaptation to the most modern music of the hymn.
3: Jesus, I, my cross, have taken all to Thee and follow Thee.
0: Just before the sermon, the soprano sang a solo, the well known hymn,
1: Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way.
0: Rachel Winslow looked very beautiful that morning as she stood up behind a screen of carved oak, which was significantly marked with the emblems of the cross and the crown. Her voice was even more beautiful than her face, and that meant a great deal. There was a general rustle of expectation over the audience as she rose. Mr. Maxwell settled himself contentedly behind the pulpit. Rachel Winslow's singing always helped him. He generally arranged for a song before the sermon. It made possible a certain inspiration of feeling that made his delivery more impressive. People said to themselves they had never heard such singing, even in the first church. It was certain that if it had not been a church service, her solo would have been vigorously applauded. It even seemed to the minister when she sat down that something, like an attempted clapping of hands or a striking of feet on the floor, swept through the church. He was startled by it. As he rose, however, and laid his sermon on the Bible, he said to himself he had been deceived. Of course it could not occur. In a few moments, he was absorbed in his sermon and everything else was forgotten in the pleasure of his delivery. No one had ever accused Henry Maxwell of being a dull preacher. On the contrary, he had often been charged with being sensational, not in what he had said so much as in his way of saying it. But the first church people liked that. He gave their preacher and their parish a pleasant distinction that was agreeable. It was also true that the pastor of the first church loved to preach. He seldom exchanged. He was eager to be in his own pulpit when Sunday came. There is an exhilarating half-hour for him as he faced a church full of people and know that he had a hearing. He was peculiarly sensitive to variations in the attendance. He never preached well before a small audience. The weather also affected him decidedly. He was at his best before just such an audience as faced him now, on just such a morning. He felt a glow of satisfaction as he went on. The church was the first in the city. It had the best choir. It had a membership composed of the leading people, representatives of the wealth, society, and intelligence of Raymond. He was going abroad on a 3 months vacation in the summer, and the circumstances of his pastorate his influence, and his position as pastor at the first church in the city. It is not certain that the Reverend Henry Maxwell knew just how he could carry on that thought in connection with his sermon, but as he drew near the end of it, he knew that he had, at some point in his delivery, had all those feelings. They had entered into the very substance of his thought. It might have been all in a few seconds of time, but he had been conscious of defining his position and his emotions as well as if he had held a soliloquy, and his delivery partook of the thrill of deep personal satisfaction the sermon was interesting it was full of striking sentences they would have commanded attention printed spoken with the passion of a dramatic utterance that had the good taste never to offend with a suspicion of ranting or declamation they were very effective. If the Reverend Henry Maxwell that morning felt satisfied with the conditions of his pastorate, the First Church also had a similar feeling as it congratulated itself on the presence in the pulpit of this scholarly, refined, somewhat striking face and figure, preaching with such animation and freedom from all vulgar, noisy, or disagreeable mannerism. Suddenly, into the midst of this perfect accord and concord between preacher and audience, there came a very remarkable interruption. It would be difficult to indicate the extent of the shock which this interruption measured. It was so unexpected, so entirely contrary to any thought of any person present, that it offered no room for argument or, for the time being, of resistance. The sermon had come to a close. Mr. Maxwell had just turned the half of the Big Bible over upon his manuscript and was about to sit down as the quartet prepared to arise to sing the closing selection.
3: All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all 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 my being, and power.
0: When the entire congregation was startled by the sound of a man's voice. It came from the rear of the church from one of the seats under the gallery. The next moment the figure of a man came out of the shadow there and walked down the middle aisle. Before the startled congregation fairly realized what was going on, the man had reached the open space in front of the pulpit and had turned about facing the people.
3: I've been wondering since I came in here.
0: They were the words he used under the gallery, and he repeated them
3: if it would be just the thing to say a word at the close of the service. I'm not drunk, and I'm not crazy, and I am perfectly harmless. But if I die, as there is every likelihood I shall in a few days, I want the satisfaction of thinking that I said my say in a place like this and before this sort of a crowd.
0: HENRY MAXWELL HAD NOT TAKEN HIS SEAT, AND HE NOW REMAINED STANDING, LEANING ON HIS PULPIT, LOOKING DOWN AT THE STRANGER. IT WAS THE MAN WHO HAD COME TO HIS HOUSE THE FRIDAY BEFORE, THE SAME DUSTY, WORN, SHABBY-LOOKING YOUNG MAN. HE HELD HIS FADED HAT IN HIS TWO HANDS. IT SEEMED TO BE A FAVORITE GESTURE. HE HAD NOT BEEN SHAVED AND HIS HAIR WAS ROUGH AND TANGLED. It is doubtful if anyone like this had ever confronted the first church within the sanctuary. It was tolerably familiar with this sort of humanity out on the street, around the railroad shops, wandering up and down the avenue, but it had never dreamed of such an incident as this so near. There was nothing offensive in the man's manner or tone. He was not excited, and he spoke in a low but distinct voice. Mr. Maxwell was conscious, even as he stood there smitten into dumb astonishment at the event, that somehow the man's action reminded him of a person he had once seen walking and talking in his sleep. No one in the house made any motion to stop the stranger, or in any way interrupt him. Perhaps the first shock of his sudden appearance deepened into a genuine perplexity concerning what was best to do. However that may be, he went on as if he had no thought of interruption, and no thought of the usual element which he had introduced into the decorum of the first church service. And all the while he was speaking, the minister led it over the pulpit, his face growing more white and sad every moment. But he made no movement to stop him, and the people sat smitten into breathless silence one other face that of rachel winslow from the choir stared white and intent down at the shabby figure with the faded hat her face was striking at any time under the pressure of the present unheard-of incident it was as personally distinct as if it had been framed in fire
3: i'm not an ordinary tramp though i don't know of any teaching of jesus that makes one kind of tramp less worth saving than another
0: do you he put the question as naturally as if the whole congregation had been a small bible class he paused just a moment and coughed painfully then he went on
3: i lost my job ten months ago i am a printer by trade the new linotype machines are beautiful specimens of invention but i know six men who have killed themselves inside of the year, just on account of those machines. Of course, I don't blame the newspapers for getting the machines. Meanwhile, what can a man do? I know I never learned but the one trade, and that's all I can do. I've tramped all over the country trying to find something. There are a good many others like me. I'm not complaining, am I? Just stating facts. But I was wondering, as I sat there under the gallery, if what you call following Jesus is the same thing as what he taught. What did he mean when he said, Follow me? The minister said that it is necessary for the disciple of Jesus to follow his steps. And he said the steps are obedience, faith, love, and imitation. But I did not hear him tell you just what he meant that to mean, especially the last step. What do you Christians mean by following the steps of Jesus? I've tramped through this city for three days trying to find a job, and in all that time, I've not had a word of sympathy or comfort except from your minister here, who said he was sorry for me and hoped I would find a job somewhere. I suppose it is because you get so imposed on by the professional tramp that you have lost your interest in any other sort. I'm not blaming anybody, am I? Just stating facts. Of course. I understand you can't all go out of your way to hunt up jobs for other people like me. I'm not asking you to, but what I feel puzzled about is, what is meant by following Jesus? What do you mean when you sing, I'll go with him, with him, all the way? Do you mean that you are suffering and denying yourselves, and trying to save lost, suffering humanity? just as i understand jesus did what do you mean by it i see the ragged edge of things a good deal i understand there are more than 500 men in this city in my case most of them have families my wife died four months ago i'm glad she is out of trouble my little girl is staying with a printer's family until I find a job. Somehow, I get puzzled when I see so many Christians living in luxury and singing, Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow Thee. And remember how my wife died in a tenement in New York City, gasping for air, and asking God to take the little girl too. Of course, I don't expect you people can prevent everyone from dying of starvation, lack of proper nourishment, and tenement air, but what does following Jesus mean? I understand that Christian people own a good many of the tenements. A member of a church was the owner of the one where my wife died, and I have wondered if following Jesus all the way was true in his case. I heard some people singing at a church prayer meeting the other night All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my being's ransomed powers, all my thoughts and all my doings, all my days. And all my hours. And I kept wondering as I sat on the steps outside just what they meant by it. It seems to me there's an awful lot of trouble in the world that somehow wouldn't exist if all the people who sing such songs went and lived them out. I suppose I don't understand, but what would Jesus do? Is that what you mean by following his steps? It seems to me, sometimes, as if the people in the big churches had good clothes and nice houses to live in, and the money to spend for luxuries, and could go away on summer vacations and all that, while the people outside the churches, thousands of them, I mean, die in tenements and walk the streets for jobs and never have a piano or a picture in the house, and grow up in misery and drunkenness and sin.
0: The man suddenly gave a queer lurch over in the direction of the communion table, and laid one grimy hand on it. His hat fell upon the carpet at his feet. A stir went through the congregation. Dr. West half rose from his pew, but as yet the silence was unbroken by any voice or movement worth mentioning in the audience. The man passed his other hand across his eyes, and then, without any warning, fell heavily forward on his face, full length up the aisle. Henry Maxwell spoke.
2: We will consider the service closed.
0: End of chapter 1